everybody. Welcome to the Family Jewels True Crime Podcast. My name is Brian Sobolewski. Welcome to episode 14, Emotional Homeostasis. Um, it's going gonna, it's gonna to take me nerding out a little bit. Please offer me some leeway here in explaining what homeostasis is. Hopefully you already know what it is, but um, I can, I'll hopefully put it in terms that are very relatable. I'll use covid Homeostasis is the term that we refer to your body's ability to maintain normal levels of functioning, meaning everything is sitting at its middle. So think of homeostasis as the instrument panel of your car. Um, you're driving down the road and a yellow light shows up. And if you don't know what, a, what the difference between a yellow engine light and a red engine light is, please read your driver's manual, ladies and gentlemen, because you're one of those unsafe people I'm very afraid of. A yellow engine light says, says, hey, we've noticed some level in your car has dipped below middle. A red engine light is, is hey, pull over, dude. Get a tow truck. We got to figure some shit out. I owned a Volkswagen for a very long time. I have always loved Volkswagens because regardless of their electrical bullshit issues, which they all have, every one of mine did. They're just so fun to drive. And it turns out they're fun to drive because they lied. And, and who knows how long they've been lying about their EPA standards. And horsepower that they were getting from something that didn't match what they said ecologically. And you can, you can go look that shit up. It was in the news. And, and they paid dearly for it. But at the same time, they're still, you know, I stopped buying them. Now, I bought a Jetta but when I got down here because I've always ever had base model cars up. And that thing had um, had a yellow engine light and a red engine light that was on regularly, which I lost $2,000 for on trade-in because I didn't bring it in. I, it, there were like two recalls on it. But the red engine light was um, my coolant levels were low. Pull over, your car's going to overheat. But my temperature level was always sitting in its middle. So there was just clearly a problem in the instrumentation or the computer's reading of issues. in terms of the body a yellow engine light would be a cold why do you get a fever because there's a virus in your body and the virus does not like heat so if you raise your internal temperature above a certain amount the body can try to kill the virus antibiotics are usually introduced into that situation which is why we had covid i don't know if you guys remember but they've been warning us about a antibiotic resistant strain of the flu virus for very long time and and covid was sars and is sars and most versions of the flu i believe are sars and sars is just continuing to mutate so that it can fight our immune system every single time it's introduced to a new system it's genius actually it's evolution we you are in the presence of evolution and and Humans came along and interrupted that process by creating an antibiotic that would kill all bacteria in the body, which has its own consequences. But my point is, when your body is knocked off homeostasis, that's when it begins the process of trying to bring you back to it. And those of you that know biology know there's two types of feedback loops, and I'm not going to get super into it, so... 
A negative feedback loop would be the version I just gave you. Increase in internal temperature, well, that's very dangerous because you know there's a certain level that if you reach your, your, your fever reaches, uh, you start frying internal organs. I mean, you literally boiled to death. So homeostasis can, your body's attempt to bring you back to middle can actually be the cause of your death. In a negative feedback loop, that's, that's unlikely to happen. A positive feedback loop, that happens. So give me an example. If you cut an artery, the brain says, hey, there's no more blood going down to your left thigh because you cut your femoral artery. Increase heart rate. Get some blood down there, man. Let's do this. <laughs> and by right, kills you. You bleed out. So when you cut an artery, your body's response to that, that knockoff homeostasis, it's bought your solution actually causes your death. You would hope that the body would say, oh shit, an artery got cut, let's slow down, which is why they say to elevate legs, which is why you want to create a tourniquet in those situations, which is why that's a completely different scenario than the negative feedback loop. And I've gone on for five minutes talking about science because it helps me avoid the emotional. And this is about emotional homeostasis. And how at this point, and I think in all the talks that I've had in the last couple of episodes about adult children of alcoholics, about trauma, about anything, the thing that I find is affected most is my emotional homeostasis. So last week's episode, I put some audio in it. Some of you liked it, some of you didn't. Um, I like the mood that it created. I'm not sure I'll, I'm going to have it in every episode. If you want to reach out to me and say, hey, I loved it. I'll go by vote. I'm Democratic, but uh, I don't think I'm going to have it every episode. And uh, this episode is about how I am no longer able to predict what a day is like. I could get up and, and love life. Because when shit like this happens to you, if you don't start appreciating every day, you're an asshole. If it doesn't affect you that way at least a little, something's wrong with you. And then there are days I get up and I can't get out of bed. I can't get up. I'm, I'm so just physically exhausted. There, there have been three incidences that I had to just take the day and sleep. And I, I don't know. I don't know what that is, but I'm starting to have dreams now. Dad's come showing up in my dreams. I had two dreams that I fucking dented the Mustang. It's freaking me out. That car is uh, I just, wow, there's just so much nostalgia. There's so much emotion. There's so much that comes along with, like, if I had, if I had ever been the type of person that was, you know, financially successful in my life and I could ever say, hey, I got an extra 80 grand, I'm going to go, because, I, you know, the more I learned about Kev's car, when it first came out, it was selling for twenty, thirty thousand dollars $30,000 over invoice. Never, ever been able to go into a Ford dealership and be like, I want that car and I know what it costs. And they're like, yeah, well, you're going to give me another thirty grand over what we asked, which was already an overinflated price. And it's crazy. It's just crazy. So if I had ever, and dad was, dad was very successful. And if it wasn't for us, 
one of the best, you know, I, I don't think I've ever told it on stage, but it might be in this podcast somewhere, but I told a joke where I said, uh, on my brother's 25th birthday, we were uh, sitting in the living room, me, dad, and Kev, and dad turns to Kev and says, hey, when I was 25, and Kev had done nothing to this point, Kev was 25 living with his dad. Dad looked at him and said, Kev, you know, when I turned 25, I had a mortgage. You were born and Brian was on the way. And Kev fucking stone cold turned to him and looked at him and said, yeah, you fucked up. <laughs> and dad lost his shit. Dad lost his shit. You know, uh, um, every single one of us, me, Kev, and Jess, got mom's smart ass, suck a dick, fuck yourself, in your face sense of humor and uh it it takes a it takes a couple decades to cultivate that into something that is acceptable on multiple levels but my sense of humor has gotten me in lots of trouble and every once in a while still does but it's the emotional homeostasis that i miss have i ever been balanced emotionally probably not i'm i'm depressed we're all depressed I mean everybody, and it, you know they they started putting fluoride in the in the water system. Why not just you know chuck a little Adderall into there, man? Jesus, you would get us to produce like crazy. Can you? We could bring American workmanship back if we just start handing out Adderall. Hitler used it. World War II, they used some version of it, and every war since, one of the first things you get as a soldier is a full supply of Adderall or something way better. Government issue. Why? One of the reasons why is A, unlimited energy. B, uh, lack of appetite. You know, can't feed soldiers very much when they're all fighting and trying to kill each other. I can't stop for a meal. So appetite suppressant was definitely a positive attribute of that. <laughs> for the past five episodes, I have danced around the emotional with science that it's starting to get. I'm, I'm becoming painfully aware of it. So I spent Sunday on my back, crying my eyes out, sobbing. And uh, as it's cathartic, I get it, it's good for you. I'm a man, I don't give a fuck, I cry. I cry, a lot. I mean, there are times I have to remove myself from a social situation because we're watching a movie or something and I hit a scene and I, like if, if someone said, hey, do you wanna come over and watch, um, Oh Christ! The green, the green mile? Nope, no, no. Why? So you can see me blubber like an idiot? Like that movie fucks me up. Fucks me up. That point where he takes the cancer out of that woman, and that woman looks so much like my mom. Yeah, yeah. I'm not gonna sit through that in a room full of people. You got fucking Fletch. You got any of those National Lampoon movies? Because none of those make me cry. And during my sobbing, I kept apologizing to Kev. Since that phone call from the medical examiner, and since now all the chips have fallen and we know it was a suicide suicide, it has opened up multiple questions that I have for both of them. And it brings up a, a level of grief for the fact that I ever thought that my dad could have done that. Could have shot Kev... And then himself, uh, and Jess was the only one, I guess, because she told me right away I didn't believe it. And 
I had trouble believing it if it wasn't within the context of dad found Kev in a coma or dad found Kev in some, just dad found Kev futureless, given what he has been dealing with for however long he's been dealing with. Now, I got to give you some context here because growing up, my dad wasn't a caregiver. He didn't wipe our noses. He didn't wipe our ass. One point he came in, I was in the shower. <laughs> this was when I was 10 or 11, which was the first time I think my dad ever saw me naked. Prior to, and I don't know. I don't know what happened when I was a baby. I truly don't. But I was in the shower and he comes in and he goes, hey, don't forget to wash your dick. And then he leaves. Ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> I never forget that. But it, it was it was so awkward and still still striking in mind. There had to be a thousand times that my mother came in and told me to wash my dick. But it wasn't ever awkward because she wiped my ass. She wiped my nose. She stuck a fucking thermometer up my ass when somebody, her, a neighbor said, hey, the, under the tongue is not a very effective method. Jam this fucking thing up his ass. You ever seen one of those anal thermometers? Whew. But mom was always there to do that shit. And dad wasn't. Now dad comes up... Listen to all three seasons and you'll get out, you'll figure out what dad ended up doing. But when he came out, he moved right back in with Bun, and Bun was on, it was in the throes of her dementia. She had, it was just starting. So prior to me not talking to them for a while, I took Bun to get her breast cancer, radiation, and chemo. That woman beat cancer twice. Twice. Breast in skin and I took her to her treatments and then we lost contact for a while I've talked about all this but um, dad moves in and Bun him uh, and then Kev got out so give another two years to that because dad got out and then Kev was back in because Kev was out for two years and then went back in because he violated violated his probation and wanted to go back I talked about all this so dad and Kev and Bun are living together Bun starts her dementia and they had just finished dinner Dad and Kev were doing the dishes, loading the dishwasher. Bun says, I'm going to go out and get a little bit of ice cream down at the corner store. <clears throat> Excuse me. And she leaves. No, no biggie. Bun was very independent. Knew the bus system. Did everything on her own. 20 minutes later, they come back with police. Apparently, Bun had gone up to the corner store, tried to buy bologna and cheese with a pair of her panties that she pulled out of her change purse because for some reason her brain converted cash into panties we found panties all over the house everywhere and she when she would wake up at three in the morning and i would find her in the living room and she thought she was at a yard sale she or she would come into where i was sleeping on the futon and try to pay me she's like hey i want to buy this a candlestick or something and try to hand me a pair of panties and i think she expected change which made things really awkward so Apparently, she went up to the store, tried to buy the bologna and cheese, and told the guy that she didn't have any money because she hasn't eaten in days because my brother and father don't feed her. So, of course, the store owner calls the cops and says, you got to do something about this lady. The lady, they say, where do you live? They bring her back down to her house, which was, you know, two, three blocks away. Bun walks in, and cops walk in and say, this lady says she hasn't been fed in days, and dad was just cleaning up the place that she had finished her meal. He just scraped it off her plate. And putting it into the dishwasher. I was like, what the fuck? But that's what prompted dad to bring her and find out, hey, shit, she doesn't, her brain doesn't work so good anymore. 
So, dad's living with Kev and dad's living with Bon and now becomes the caretakers of both of them. A man who is in his late 70s has now become the wiper of asses, the wiper of snot, been pissed all over the way, all over the place. She would shit herself, piss herself. She'd sleep for days. She'd be up for days. It was a nightmare for my dad and he dealt with all of it. And the times that I did live with them, I tried to handle it and I tried to help, but it was, it was hard. Now, flash forward, Kev, dad moves down to Florida. He's making these, you know, this, I have so much to talk about. I have so many things that are going on in this whole situation that we're not actually going to get to every episode, but, but if dad wasn't anchored to life by Kev and his need to constantly watch if he was going to go into a seizure, if he was going to crash his car, if he was going to go into a low blood sugar, we've all lived under that veil for so long. Kev, you okay? Kev, you okay? You're fine, I'm fine. Boom, he's down. Or all of a sudden, the giggling hulk comes out and he's beating the shit out of you and you're like, fuck, how did I miss that? It, it was that sneaky. And dad is dealing with that every day. And if dad, Kev was having seizures as often as dad says he was, that is the only, those are the only things that I put into factoring in whether or not dad could possibly have ever shot Kev. And they were weak. They were weak. And when the medical examiner, she told me, she said, as soon as I went in there with the blood spatter specialist, neither one of them thought that it was a murder-suicide. Neither one of them. And so when the detective called me and said, yeah, you know, they don't think it is, but I do, fuck you. Fuck you. The medical examiner will never speculate, but cops do it all the fucking time, and it's fucking bullshit because he was wrong. The dude put me through some hell. So, I am craving emotional homeostasis. I want it back. And it's just like, I understand the process. I have enough of the education to get that. And I, and I also have enough of the education to know that I can't blender this. I can't turbo it. I can't microwave it. I can't get there any faster than it takes. And time heals all. Fuck you, fuck you, fuck you. The issue is that even when I'm done with all that, I am still changed. I am still changed. I am a person with an unbelievably unique set of circumstances. Sorry, I keep getting these spikes in the audio and this, this, if you saw where I was, as opposed to my old apartment, I had a sweet setup in my old apartment being in the closet, but I'm sitting, there is a blanket over a um, ironing board on one side of me, the bed on the other. I've propped up one side with a foam roller, a lamp on the other, and I'm trying to make sure the audio sounds as good as possible for you guys. <laughs> and it's hilarious. Sitting here pouring my fucking heart out on the floor of a window, room 114. God damn. I got good stuff coming, guys. I really do. Uh, I am going to put a comedy set at the end of this that I'm super proud of. I never, ever, ever in my life thought or knew the art of crowd work or thought I could do it or thought I wanted to do it. Every time, you know, I was always like, oh, those guys are dicks. But boy, the laughs that you get when you understand a room. And I, I don't know, I hope this doesn't sound egotistical, but I spend as much of that night, whether I'm in the room or outside, because I sometimes if I'm headlining or I got a spot later in the show, 
I won't be in the room. I won't listen to what's going on because I'm focused. And that's, I don't know. A lot of guys sit in the green room and they're just like, they go over their stuff and they try to find this emotional place or whatever they do. But I know me. I'll spend some time in the room to look at the crowd, see who's laughing. And look and see what's unique about about these people sitting in front of me because there's always something. And if you can get up and do it, not be a dick. Because I've seen people do it and get up, but their energy was very like, Ugh, and the people are like, hey, go fuck yourself. But if you get up and you try to make it part of a, hey, you're funny and I'm funny looking too and I'm awkward, but look at you. And it works. It just works. And if you can turn a crowd and focus them on one person, and even if that person doesn't like it, if the crowd's like, yeah, no, this guy's got a point. And you heard it. You guys heard it. So I keep putting these nine or ten minute sets up for you guys to see that, you know, the base of the material is the same. And hopefully you guys are seeing that I have a, a plot of jokes that I know. Here's it where it hits. Here's where it hits. Here's where it hits. And I save them and I try to play with other stuff. And so you've, you've heard some difference, but you're getting an idea of what the whole hour would be if I were to string all of those things together and and so you're gonna hear about a couple of minutes of me doing crowd work which was so fucking fun the crowd that this is what i'm talking about when i talk about comedy i mean if if you don't understand the room you don't under, understand the the energy that they're pushing out then you won't be able to use your energy to pull them back in or or to win them over or it's super cool when when you start to understand it which is these are the places I use my psych degrees. I can't use them on my grief or, you know, to do anything mentally healthy. <laughs> so I'll do it to make people giggle because I'm dying inside. That's my spiel, guys. That's my stuff. I have the stuff all loaded up from last week. I still have to play part four for you guys of Sentence to Stand Up, but I'm going to save that until next week. Um, and uh, that's what I got. Any questions, comments, or concerns, please go to xconcomedy.com. Any of my Facebook pages, Brian Sobolewski or Family Jewels, uh, both of those are on Instagram too. So anyone that wants to reach out, ask a question, give me a show idea. Anything you want to do, let me know. Guys, have a great week. Take care. It's absolutely hilarious. He actually self-produced and sold out his own show recently called Sentence to Stand Up. And he has an amazing podcast I suggest you check out called Family Jewels. Everybody give it up for my guy, Brian Sobolewski! <laughs> Your meds? I had to do it. Yeah. Like, <laughs> you know, li li it's fucking after nine, guys. I just took my meds. I have 17 minutes before things get weird. 17 minutes. So I'm going to try to wrap this up quick for you guys. Thank you so much for sticking up. You guys are awesome. Give yourself a round of applause. Um, I have to commend you guys because you're you're like a pretty audience, man. You guys are beautiful. You should have been here last week, man. That audience was ugly. <laughs> like, seriously, what are you guys going for? Best couple everywhere? No, seriously, look at you two. Who gets off first? <laughs> you get up there? There's no way. There's no way. Do you know how to get him off first? Put a mirror right on the head <laughs> so he can see himself. No, you guys are gorgeous. Even more gorgeous, sir, are people behind you. We got gorgeous people over here.
Dude, you're in a sweater. I don't know what the fuck you were expecting in Florida. Like what? Sanji, where are you from? What part of New England are you fucking from that you wore a sweater in Delray Beach, Florida? No excuse. Explain yourself. Are you doing heroin? Do you have track marks? Like, what's your are you trying to cover that shit up? Because she's not wearing any fucking thing. Like, like, you guys said, I'm going to go minimalist tonight. And he's like, I'm going to go uh, Alaska. <laughs> so uh, Alex was up here. Alex, Alex Avila was up here earlier talking to him about his uh, abuela. I hope I'm saying it right. I'm Polish. We just put ski at the end of everything. And you're talking about it. <laughs> But I was the fucking trainer that he was working out with the night that shit happened. Yeah. She's in the group chat, isn't she? But it's it, like, I walked over to her and I was like, hey, what's up? And he's like, uh, my grandmother is unresponsive. I was like, fucking 10 more, dude. 10 more! No, I'm not that bad. I said, you gotta go home, so. Um, the reason I am the headliner and I am last is because I have the most fucked up family in the world. <laughs> I, I don't know, some of you know me, you're laughing, you must have heard me before because it's fucking totally true. Um, my, my mother used to be put in a mental institution about every three months. So if you're in business, that's like once a quarter. <laughs> and I was so worried about my mom. I was such a, I feel like I was a sweet kid. And I was like, Mom, what's up, man? Are you really crazy? And she's like, no. I just need a break from you people. <laughs> I said, Mom, just take a vacation. She's like, show me a vacation where they put Valium on, uh, in a little candy dish next to your bed. And I'll go on Expedia right now. <laughs> But no, she was, she was crazy, and my dad was a sociopath. Anyone? Woo! No? <laughs> no, my dad, uh, I'm pretty sure that my dad, uh, this is how my dad approached parenting. He said, listen, I have an older brother. He said, you know, you boys are either going to be street smart or book smart. He saw my brother's first uh, report card. He's like, okay, you're good. Brian, you're going to be street smart. <laughs> So my dad raised my brother and I to be criminals because I knew uh, my Miranda rights before I knew any nursery rhymes. <laughs> no, I'm serious. Like, I, I, my dad was like, hey, Jack and Jill went up the hill both without representation. <laughs> you should never do that. Remain silent. Seriously, when they, they asked me to pledge allegiance in school and I was like, hey, I ain't pledging shit to my lawyer. <laughs> Justice for all is fucked up. Not Anybody else like drink on the honor system here tonight? Because it's fucking amazing. I've had two beers. <laughs> two beers I'm gonna pay for when I'm done. Um, so the first thing, the first, like, I knew the second that reality hit me that I love stealing. <laughs> no, I just love it. It's the best thing in the world. Like, my dad was a salesman. Anyone have a parent that was a salesperson? because they're a different breed of fucking people. My dad's like, hey, if you work really hard, you have a great product, and you sell it right, you can make a 40% profit. I was like, yeah, dad, or I can take it and make 100. <laughs> How about those profit margins? <laughs> and, and my dad, actually, my, he, he taught us to be thieves. The first thing that my brother and I stole from my dad was something simple. We, you probably wouldn't have even noticed it. It was a house. 
<laughs> More specifically, and I love you, whoever you are, can we talk about this? Like, can I sign some part of you at the end of this? Um, how do you steal a house? It was actually two thirds of a house that we stole. Let me explain. This was back in the 80s. Anyone grew up in the 80s? Yeah, no, because you're in bed right now. You're home in bed if you grew up in the 80s. But uh, during the 80s, my dad divorced my mom. He couldn't afford another house of his own, so instead he bought a plot of land, poured the foundation, and we capped it. And my brother and I lived in it with him on weekends. And at night, we would drive around to construction sites and steal the rest of what we needed to build the house. Yeah, oh my god, she said, is that you? Is that you? Like, you, want, you grew up in a family where like, they hugged and shit? No, 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 I haven't been hugged in 35 years, go fuck yourself. My family is the reason for same day delivery and install. Because if you had that shit delivered and you didn't have it installed the same day, I put that shit in my house. That was mine. Um, Survival, thank you. I don't need your help. Thank you. I'm the last guy. I'm the last guy for a reason. Oh, that's so sweet. Get your hands off my woman. So guys, we all did prison time. I do a podcast and I get it. When someone says, hey, I want you to listen to my podcast, I feel the same way. I'm like, yeah, I would rather listen to old people eat with huge headphones on. But my, my podcast is about how my father, brother, and I robbed jewelry stores all over New England for five years. Go. <laughs> she's like, yeah. like, like, she's taking notes. She's gonna go out, forget the honor system. She's going to get a pen. <laughs> if you've never robbed a jewelry store with your family, guys, I gotta tell you, <laughs> who just did that? <laughs> who just did the Cookie Monster fucking laugh? Like, <laughs> okay. If you've never robbed a jewelry store with your family, guys, I highly recommend it because you'll learn a lot about yourself. You'll get the job based on your level of importance to the family. Anyone sit in the kitty table? In an armed robbery, let me explain. My dad, 6'4", 250 pounds, he went to Wentworth School of Technology, which is a little bit better than MIT in Massachusetts. He was a genius. They literally called him in the media a mastermind. My brother, 6'4", 260 pounds, all roided out. He was the muscle. I am inhaling, guys, right now, just to show you that I'm 5'9". I'm 150 pounds. I was the lookout. Yeah, during the planning stage, my father and brother were like, he's still here. Turn around. He's got eyes. They could look out. Guys, the lookout's the best job in the world to get because if the shit ever did hit the fan, if I ever saw blue flashing lights, I could leave. <laughs> There's no way I wouldn't have been heartless about it. I wouldn't have just left them. I would have been like, guys, I don't know what to tell you. Um, you're fucked. <laughs> uh, the microwave popcorn's done. I gotta go. But guys, um, again, thank you so much for being here. If you want to listen to a really fucked up family story, please check out the Family Jewels podcast. And I'm gonna leave you with what I learned about myself after three years in prison. Guys, it turns out I am not a top. <laughs>